The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's Anthony Cazenza with the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I hope you are doing well. Football has officially begun for the Cincinnati Bengals as they went through their first preseason game, the very first game under Zach Taylor and his new regime. Thanks for joining us. With me as always is co-host John Sheeran. John, what's going on, buddy? It's 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 football season, man. Like it's exciting, even though we're on one and we lost by 21 to the almost AFC champs, but I'm excited regardless. Yep. Yep. Uh, not, not the most inspiring of debuts. We will definitely be talking about that. We will be talking about the upcoming game against the Redskins the preseason week. Number two, we'll be talking about some recent news and notes with the team and everything in between. We have a couple of even uh, a couple little listener uh, comments and questions we're going to we're going to try and get to that came our way that are kind of pertinent to the topics that we've talked about. I apologize to some of the to some of the uh, folks that joined us live immediately because um, we had a little bit of a snafu yet again. We're still kind of working through this new YouTube uh, platform of how they do the live streaming. You'll also kind of hear a a different, um, I hate to use the term, but a little bit lower quality audio from John because we have to kind of get creative in how we stream him in. So stick with us. We're getting it handled. Um, Unfortunately, like like I've said the past few episodes, this has been a a little bit of something that um, is a little out of our control because we don't work for YouTube. So um, Google doesn't want us to succeed. Yes, Google. Google has. Yeah, Google. Google has it out for us. That is that is for sure true. Um, but we thank you for mo- making the move over to the to the new stream for those tuning in live and for those. Uh, it's on Cincy Jungle. The updated link and everything. So we should be good to go. Um, hopefully, more more join us here in just a little bit. But we appreciate um, everybody coming in here, joining us live. Let's let's kind of before we before we go into all kinds of details about the Bengals preseason week one game against the Chiefs. Let's talk about some news and notes that 
I found to be um, that that have kind of been headline grabbers and or very interesting. Um, I guess we could start with the Bengals. Uh, they lost Kent Perkins. Uh, they they waived him. I think he has an intention to retire. So that thin offensive tackle group um, did is already thinner now that he's gone. Um, you know, they may try and see what they get out of somebody like a Keith Sutherland, at, who's kind of a guard tackle uh, guy at the, at the NFL level. So um, Kent Perkins is gone. He did not play very well uh, as did, <laughs> unfortunately not many of the linemen did. So um, he is, he is gone and the Bengals made a claim and John, you, you had a little bit of interesting information on this, young man, the uh, defensive tackle out of, uh, I think he was out of Vanderbilt. He was a rookie and uh, the Bengals claimed him off of waivers. I believe it's Dare Odeyingbo off of waivers. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm very cosmopolitan buddy. Um, So, he was with the Buccaneers, but uh, did not make it there. You said this is kind of an intriguing guy in a tweet you put out recently. Yeah, um, if it's all the same to you, I'm going to call him Dare. Let's do it. Because, yeah, it's just, I just want to call him Dare. Yeah. So, obviously, at least a 9 out of 10 on the name scale. But, <laughs> yeah, he was uh, actually, I didn't really study a lot about this defensive tackle class, but just going through a lot of the production metrics in terms of market share, actually a guy that stood out, not necessarily from 2018. He was a four-year player at Vanderbilt, and he actually had his best season in his junior year in 2017, where he hit a lot of high-quality marks in terms of market share production, and he didn't, unfortunately, test the combine because it wasn't that big of a prospect, but at his pro day, came away with um, a grade three cone in short, short time, so good flexibility, good good explosion as well to him, so athletically, he's good. Production-wise, he was good coming out of college. I guess things just didn't work out in Tampa Bay. You, you know how these things go. Like, the players get cut and released all the time, especially rookies who were undrafted. So, you know, this gives him a chance to maybe start new. And I think right now his goal should be to just make the practice squad because um, he's essentially replacing Niles Scott on the active roster now. Uh, Niles Scott was just placed on injury reserve mm-hmm. about a week ago, and he's basically taking his place on the roster. There's just very little chance he makes any movement and can push anybody at this position group off the roster right now. But I think he just comes in, replaces that depth there, and maybe challenges, um, you know, challenges one of the one or just any player on, on the defense in general for a spot on the practice squad. And I think in terms of in terms of a guy you can pick up on waivers in mid-August, he's about as high upside as you can, as you can come. And obviously, you know, the Buccaneers didn't have high hopes for him, I guess, necessarily. But, you know, this gives him a chance to, to start new. And, you know, it, it's never bad adding quality players. I think he can be somewhat of that if they hold on to him for the next couple of years. So in terms of just a mid-August waiver wire signing to replace the guy he was put on injured reserve, I have no problem with this. So uh, were you surprised that the Bengals maybe didn't make it, that that, that that was the position that they decided to bolster after after what we saw last week? Well, logic would say offensive tackle, but again, right. there's, there's just, there, that's just the way the NFL is right now. There's a lot more overflowing pass rushers than there are pass protectors right now and uh, I'm sure they're I'm sure they're still looking for a guy that they can pick up uh, on the offensive line to replace Perkins but like right now like like one one more body at, at that position group for them is not going to make them substantially better if they want to see what they have in Justin Evans and O'Shea do just give them more reps at both the left and right tackle spots that's fine 
probably not going to like what they see. But yeah, offensive offensive tackle depth right now has never been worse for the Bengals, and specifically with a team that has always, well, before three or four years ago, had always always had solidity at that position. It's it's really 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 dire right now because again, if you're going into 2019 with Andre Smith as your best bet as as a backup swing tackle, you're not looking too hot. So we now have. Uh... And maybe this was an an indictment of what the quarterback play looked like from the backups uh, on Saturday. But Jeff Driscoll now is getting looks at different special teams type of uh, situations. Um, He's getting, um, I think it's uh, wide receiver and special teams. So, um, and Zach Taylor made a note, hey, you know, um, this is a guy that, is wanting to do what's necessary to make the team. Um, Good sign, bad sign. Uh, He did not do anything really impressive uh, on Saturday, whereas Finley looked pretty good. Um, Is this a, is this a way that they maybe get creative to keep a guy, an athletic guy on the roster, maybe like that kid from the saints that, that does all kinds of different stuff, or is it, is it, uh, you know, uh, this isn't looking so great in terms of his outlook on, on making the team at any position? After seeing Zach Taylor speak in person, I can tell that he's pretty fluent right now in coach speak, and he made it very clear that Jeff Driscoll, quote-unquote, wasn't out of the backup quarterback competition, but if the backup quarterback spot is already valuable enough, so if you're trying to increase a quarterback's value and, he's, and besides just being the backup quarterback – then you can pretty much tell, read the tea leaves, that he's pretty much behind Ryan Finley at this point. He's trying to catch up. And I, I believe that the preseason game did elevate Finley over Driscoll because you don't even have to look at the numbers. You can just look at how the two played. Finley looked a lot more poised, a lot more accurate. There's still a lot wrong and needs to be adjusted with Finley's game. But then you're thinking, okay, Finley's the rookie. He's the guy that they invested in. Driscoll is the guy that's been here for a couple years. And also, I'm going to say it, you know, there's, there, there is obviously some bias towards Zach Taylor and against uh, Marvin Lewis, when they used Jeff Driscoll at wide receiver before, and then he got hurt, everybody blamed Lewis, even though Taylor's pretty much doing the exact same thing for the exact same reasons, to increase the guy's value because he's athletic. And the most impressive things that we saw from Driscoll last year were the things that he did with his legs. Because when this guy has the ball, he can make things happen at the quarterback, at the quarterback position. And if you put him at receiver and you know give him some plays, give him the ball in his hands, you know he can make stuff happen with that. So I, I think Driscoll is like the perfect guy to do this in the preseason but in terms of what the backup quarterback battle is right now it's pretty clearly that Finley's two and he's gonna have to mess up poorly for Driscoll to get those reps back and if they're doing this for Driscoll now it pretty much tells us that Driscoll needs to do basically everything in his power to keep his spot on the team because there was you know a while ago we were thinking about hey maybe Finley's not going to get get to the certain point that they wanted to and Driscoll's going to be kept on the roster because of that well now if Finley has already reached this point it's going to be two quarterbacks unless something drastic goes wrong. And Driscoll's only chance of staying on is if he can do more than throw the ball, which, is, again, already has a lot of value to it. Yeah, so a lot of interesting stuff that uh, I think some of some of which is um, has been predicated on one of some of the performances we saw in week one against the Chiefs from certain players and position groups. I think uh, some of it is is – what I feel, John, is that I, I don't think we're seeing a finished product in terms of a, a roster being constructed 
uh, going into the regular season. I think they're going to continue to tweak, maybe make a move, probably not on these high end type of trade for a Trent Williams thing. But, um, you know, I, I think they may scour the waiver wire after final cuts and what they may come out with as a as a final roster after their final cuts. They may see someone out there and add another one or two names. Do you agree? I would, I would, and again, like they're still finding out what they have on their own team, and not not only looking at the waiver wire, looking at what everyone else has. Like the offensive line is going through so many changes right now, and that situation in itself is so very fluid. And obviously, that's going on on the defensive line, the linebacker positions, all these position groups that had obvious weaknesses and uncertainties. With new eyes looking at, at the situation, this situation is extremely fluid, and a lot of the spots that are under a severe competition are far from over. And yes, this next preseason game and the next two after that will tell us a lot about where that where those situations are going but I think definitely that th- this is a sign of how progressive they're going to be at least relative to how progressive the Bengals can be in terms of talent acquisition um, b- before the season starts but they're not necessarily strangers to these kinds of moves I guess looking at the years past but I do think we will see you know a, a couple in that nature as the roster takes this final form when they cut the 37 of these guys. Yep, and that process began this, uh, well, I guess it continued this last Saturday when the Bengals um, faced off against the Chiefs. Uh, We'll talk about that in just a second, but uh, again, he's John Sheeran, I'm Anthony Cazenza. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, and as always, as we tell you, you can get this program on a number of different platforms. Please subscribe, leave a rating, and uh, let us know what you think of the show. You can get it on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. You can get it on the Megaphone platform if that's where you choose to get it. We're also obviously on YouTube where we stream live. And then um, all of our content is on Cincy Jungle as well. So get the show how you can. We appreciate your support. And, uh, you know, all the we, we get so many awesome positive feedback, uh, so much awesome positive feedback. It's, it's pretty neat to see, and we appreciate that. So, um Please get the show how you can, and uh, we're going to continue to hopefully bring you a product you like. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. John, so Bengals, uh... Bengals, uh, I don't know if you want to call it late an egg, but what do you think? It's preseason week one. It's a team that was vehemently more talented, better coached than the other. It was on the road. A lot of those factors add up to what ended up being a 21-point loss. And now, again, I I know a lot of people would just want to look at when the real guys were out there, when the starters were out there, the Bengals were basically tied 7-7 which I do believe wasn't that much different than how the first Chiefs game back in last October went, and it kind of snowballed after that. But obviously, no AJ Green, no Joe Mixon or Giovanni Bernard, um, an offensive line that was still very much in flux. No John Ross, for that matter, as well. No Geno Atkins, no Carl Lawson. I'm sure the Chiefs had guys that didn't end up playing because they won the rest of theirs, but uh, it, it was it was a mixed bag to begin with, and then it just turned to a crap show as it went on. And you could tell that 
a lot of those guys were still going through the motions and they're still picking up, you know, what the coaches were asking them to do. And they just, I guess, weren't mentally prepared to compete with the team that's probably going to at least go to the AFC Championship game again. Now, I know everyone wants to talk about Dalton, and he was PFF's, you know, player of the game for the Bengals. He finished 7 for 9 for 80 yards and almost had a touchdown to Auden Tate and almost had a touchdown to Josh Malone. So, I guess we'll start with Dalton. Um, in my opinion, this that, that drive has gotten a lot of praise. Um, you know, it was like exactly what Taylor wanted. It was exactly what Dalton wanted to open up the, this year with his new scheme. And I just feel that depending on how you feel about Dalton as a quarterback, that performance, that one drive, shouldn't really sway your thoughts on him and how he's adjusting to this new offense in any, in, in, in any positive or negative way. I feel like if you were more pessimistic on Dalton, you could look at you know that that blatant egregious five-yard underthrow to Josh Malone as a sign of the consistency of his arm strength. And then he followed it up with a perfect dime to Auden Tate. And so you can look at that angle. You can look at the fact that he converted a lot of third downs. You spread the ball around to Josh Malone, Tyler Boyd, and Tate, and Shreggan Williams as well. So I think it was mainly a mixed bag for him personally. And I, I, I don't want to sound like a Debbie Downer in that sense, but I, I, I just feel like I, I didn't learn enough about how he's growing in this offense and how much he can grow in this offense from, from one drive against Last year was one of the worst defenses in the NFL. But again, no AJ Green, no running backs, and all that stuff. Obviously factored in. So I, I don't know. What, 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 what did you think about Dalton? I guess uh, you know. I said this on on the post game reactions. I I feel like there were mistakes made by veteran captain players that should not have been made, um, and I. I give it I give it a more a bigger pass than usual because it's preseason game one. It is preseason. Maybe the focus isn't there. The rust is there. Um, you know that happens. But I mean, I look early in the game. Carlos Dunlap, one of your defensive captains, has an egregious encroachment penalty that extends a Chiefs drive that ends up leading to that help helps to lead to that opening drive touchdown by the Chiefs. Andy Dalton missed throw. You you, you can't have that. Um, and he came back and he made the throw to Auden Tate, which I think was was a very nice throw. Ironically, he makes that throw in tighter coverage, and he doesn't make the throw when the play is wide open. Um, I, again, I don't know. I don't want to overly criticize Andy Dalton because we know that that is just a a sensitive issue among so many Bengals fans. But I I just look at it and I I think to myself, these are just mistakes that you can't make. Um, that you that especially that your captains can't make, um, even though it's preseason game one, even though Dalton and Malone don't have the same maybe the same type of chemistry that he and AJ Green do, he and Tyler Boyd do. Um, I, I don't know. I, they just seemed that seemed like two big mental mistakes from two captains because even though Dalton's was more of a physical type of thing, he he can make that throw. I mean, we we talk right. about his arm strength. I mean, he can make that throw, and he should make that throw. So, to me, there were some routine things that that bothered me. There were some penalties throughout the game, and and someone told me that, um, you know, they saw Zach Taylor visibly frustrated by the penalties. Um, so, to me, if we're if we're strictly talking kind of about Dalton. Um, and that's one of the guys we wanted to focus on. I did like the intermediate throws. He and Tyler Boyd look at, by the way, Tyler Boyd was kind of the other thing, um, the other kind of captainish guy off a fresh new big contract. 
almost has a devastating play, which technically could have been called as it was on the field, um, a, a fumble-ish type of play. So, you know, three kind of early game type of type of mistakes. Maybe it's butterflies, maybe it's rust, maybe it's all of the above, but can't have that from three of your better players, in my opinion, And um, even though it is a preseason game. I want to say that, like, the Dalton performance, I guess, is a microcosm of expectations for what you can expect under Taylor. Because, for me, my my biggest hope, I guess, with this offense is not necessarily to improve Andy's ability, because that, I think that's basically set in stone. But I think what the, this, this scheme can do is create more separation for his receivers. And when we saw this separation with Malone, it was still up to Andy to give, her, give him an accurate ball and to put enough oath on it, and he didn't. But, of course... As we've seen in the past, like he's almost better at throwing contested jump balls than he is for just throwing guys open in that sense, and that's exactly what we saw on tape. You know, we, we, we've seen that with AJ Green, we see that with Tyler Eifert over the years. He's just comfortable, I guess, with just throwing it up in those contested situations. So it, again, it it, it it just didn't really tell me a lot, and I I just need to see more. And I don't think that we can really stand on any type of hill here and say we have an improved quarterback yet. And again, it's week one. Again, there's not a lot of player, a lot of the players he's going going to play out there. And also, you know, they didn't really run the ball that much. And that, that, that was also a big focal point about, you know, we're going to establish the run and all these other, you know, you know, prehistoric football terminology out there. But they ran the ball like 11 times this game. And I think it was just in a sense of just seeing how Driscoll and Finley kind of handled the adjustment of, of, the, of the game strip. Because you had Trevor Williams, a starter, you know, injured halfway through the game. And you're relying on Jordan Ellis and Quentin Flowers to take the bulk of, you know, pass protection and, however many carries that they ended up having. So maybe that also had an effect on it. Maybe they didn't plan to really rely on the passing game that much. But ultimately, I think what you can look for in Dalton going forward is, you know, continuing to spread the ball around, continuing to get the ball out there quickly. And, you know, as they dive more into the scheme, how can you respond to defenses adjusting to it? Because, again, the Chiefs defense is not like a barometer of how you can succeed against the other 30 Right. And you look at, I mean, when, when you talk about the running backs, um, they were used as pass catchers a bit. Um, Quentin Flowers had a catch. Travion Williams had a 13-yard catch. Um, and then, of course, uh, Ellis had five catches for the and one being the touchdown. Her leading so, receiver. Yeah. So, uh you know that they're so if they're not maybe running the ball, they are using them as as receivers. One thing I wanted to bring up, and this is kind of something that we could have, I guess, segued a bit a bit more fluidly from the last uh, segment into this one. But I, I, you know, we usually like to get to fan questions on our standalone listener questions episodes, but every once in a while we like to to talk about some of these questions that come our way from fans on this this weekly show. Um, we got one from Kevin Evans, and part of the reason I wanted to, uh, to do it, this was from, via email, part of the reason I wanted to do it is because he says, who day from the Bahamas? So um, I think that's pretty cool that someone's watching us from the Bahamas. Kevin, I think, has been watching our show and listening to our show for quite some time. So hello, Kevin from the Bahamas. I wish I was I was there, my friend. But um, he's asking about, uh, do you think there's a chance the Bengals move Billy Price back at right guard uh, the right guard spot he played at Ohio State. If Coach Taylor were to make that move, are you comfortable with Trey Hopkins at center? So, uh, thanks for the broadcast. I li- listen to you guys religiously. So, thanks, thanks for that support, Kevin. Um, I, you know, 
obviously left guard's kind of an issue um, and continues to be an issue. I thought John Jerry played very poorly, um, at least from the limited snaps that I saw. Um, right guard was eh, and then we saw one at, I think Billy Price was steady throughout most of his time, but he did have one or two really bad plays. So that has since now landed him at least early this week, taking reps with the number twos as, as at center and Trey Hopkins is now getting the start. So what, what's your take on that? Uh, I'm kind of thinking, you know, they're open to what this is a staff that seems to be open to all kinds of different ideas on the offensive line, including maybe moving price. What do you think? Jim Turner is not committed to, to Billy Price like Frank Pollock was, and neither is Zach Taylor. And what we saw from Price, like you, like you just said, for, for 80% of the plays, stability in, in the sense of just basic easy blocks that 90% of the centers in the NFL can do. But when he's asked to reach, when he's asked to block on the move, when he's asked to pick on a shaded nose tackle on, on an outside run, kind of runs into trouble. And those issues haven't really changed from his time at OSU. And they haven't changed from his time at, at center last year. Now, there was the excuse of him being injured last year and not getting enough reps and not getting mentally prepared and all that stuff. And being a rookie offensive lineman is as tough as it is. But this is year two for Price. And we're, they were counting on him to improve those technical issues. And so far in camp and in one game of preseason, they haven't done that. So I don't blame the coaching staff at all for trying Hopkins there. And if the question is, am I comfortable with Hopkins at center? I'm more comfortable at him at center than I am at Price because I think Price has always been a better guard than, than he was at center. And it, it, had they handled the situation last year, like we discussed, you know, at this time last year when they had Alex Revin struggling at right guard and they had Billy Price struggling at center, and you had Trey Hopkins being a, a solid center, if nothing else, you had a, 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 a potential solution there by just moving Price over. But you signed, you committed to John Miller for three years at right guard and you have an opening at left guard. So might as well just try whatever works because I am more comfortable with Hopkins there because, well, he can, be as steady as prices, he's not going to give you the extremely negative plays, and he can give you more positive plays, more plus plays that most centers, other centers can't make in an outside zone scheme, which I don't think really fits Price to a T. I think he's athletic, I think he's nasty in that sense, but I think there's technical and physical limitations to his game that he just really needs to overcome, and if he hasn't overcome them yet, this offense still has to move on and progress with or without without him, and if Hopkins is the better piece there, might as well just roll with that. Yep, and it seems as if this staff is at least a little bit more open to hey, let the best guy let the best guy do it, let the best guy play. Because I mentioned John Jerry a minute ago, uh, one of if not I think the oldest player on the roster uh, is has been kind of supplanted his starting snaps by the youngest guy on the roster, Michael Jordan. Um, and obviously, a lot of people liked Michael Jordan. He I liked him as a pick as well, but. Um, very young and, and still still raw. He kind of did the same thing Billy Price did, was a guard, probably a better guard at Ohio State than because than of necessity and Billy Price leaving. They moved him to center. He is now getting snaps, starting snaps at left guard. Your thoughts on that, John? It, it's, it, it's very tough for a guy his size to really you know do well in the position. It makes it what Andrew Wilbur did at, at, when, when he was in Cincinnati even more impressive because he was 6'7 at guard, but some of the issues that you see with, with Jordan there, they can be explained by the fact that he's 6'6", and it's just hard for him to gain leverage, and it's hard for him to have a base in pass protection. But as a run blocker, he's, he's fun to watch, man. He's explosive. He gets out to the linebackers very quickly. He gets hands on guys on, on reach blocks very quickly. Um, in pass protection, he just has to learn to just stay low. And it's it's hard to, it's hard for someone who's 5'9", like me, to tell a guy who's 6'6", <laughs> to stay low. 
and ma maintain leverage against three techniques. You want to put you on your butt, but that's just what Jordan has to do. And guard's probably his best spot. I agree. I, I don't think the center will do him much much good at that size, but his length and his athleticism are clear assets that can be useful in his own blocking scheme. And if Christian Westerman doesn't want to step up to the plate and take a left guard spot, and Jordan can provide more upside than a guy like Jerry does, and you know provide similar or less mental gaps at the position, you might as well go with him as well. And you know it, it, if he's better at price at left guard too, if they want to try and price there, it kind of leaves Price out of luck in that sense. But I, I do think ultimately Price is going to end up starting because I, I, don't, I don't know if they're going to fully commit to Hopkins there. But if Jordan can run away with, with, with that with that job, it will bode, it will bode well for him and his future at, at the position. And, you know, I, I don't have the highest expectations for him because he, he, he still has problems in pass protection in terms of just establishing the base. But this is the time to really work out those kinks and issues, just playing and going through the motions in that sense. But he played okay, I guess, against Kansas City. And he had issues, and he showed issues that he had at Ohio State, and those aren't really going to go away anytime soon. But, again, when you have so much chaos on the offensive line in that sense, you might as well just try with the, with the option that gives you, I guess, the highest, you know, positive outcome. In that sense, yeah. So uh, interesting stuff. Just to back up real quick on the, on the offensive line and talking about Billy Price. Um, for those of you who do not know, uh, and you should, because if you're subscribing to our feeds, you should have got you should have been able to access all of this audio. My co-host was part of a really cool, um, and he explained this on our listener questions uh, video as well, but. He was given access recently along with uh, Jake Liskow of Locked on Bengals podcast. And um, was it uh, was it Matt Minich or who, who was the other one that was with you, John? It was our good friend, Nick Manchester. Oh, Nick Manchester. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. So he's he's a contributor there as well. So um, kind of cool. It was, uh, those three were given access. Uh, Billy Price was one of the people that you interviewed. And I when I listened to the interview... I had heard, I think it was you who had asked the question. Maybe it wasn't, but it was just kind of, how's the foot feeling, right? Um, do you right. think anything, whether it was last year's injury, this plantar fasciitis he was apparently dealing with this offseason, do you think that that had anything to do maybe with some of the struggles we saw? Or is this just still fundamental, a fundamentally somewhat flawed player? speak for his foot necessarily he was very terse he, did you notice he was very terse when you when you asked that he uh, to me yeah, i thought he, he just he was, was like very, fine he, he wanted to assure that he was 100 percent, which might not go well from now after that performance that he just put out there last saturday but uh, the issues that i saw were more with just the technical and physical limitations that he that he has put on tape for the past couple of years and not necessarily anybody dealing with a bad foot and so, yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily blame the issues we saw on a potential injury, but if that's the story that the team wants to run with, then that's that's all the power to them. Yep. Uh, kind of finishing up before we transition into, because this is going to probably be a bit of a long discussion as well, before we transition into uh, talking about the Bengals, who they have up next on tap, the Washington Redskins, um, there is both a, a text we received on our um, on our OBI line, as well as some comments in the live YouTube chat. Uh, let's see. Um, Alden Tate looked, uh, Will Smith, Alden Tate looks good too. And then uh, I believe this was from Dan in Tennessee. The final, Anthony, the final cuts of receivers and defensive linemen are going to be very interesting. So 
with uh, Tyler Boyd looked great. Uh, aside from that one first play, I mean, he was moving the chains. He was doing Tyler Boyd things, right? Um, so aside from from him, you know, the Bengals were a down AJ Green. They didn't have John Ross, so they needed Josh Malone to step up. He would have been. He would have had an explosive, uh, you know, stat line had that pass we discussed earlier been converted. Um, there are, you know, I, I thought out in Tate stepped up nicely, made that nice high point grab. Stanley Morgan made a couple of nice grabs. Damian Willis, the guy who's been wowing in camp, has, was a little quiet in the actual game. But um, the the depth there at wide receiver looks pretty good. And, you know, I think people, especially at wide receiver, it seems, every year there's these, these guys that people get hyped about. And they, you know, inevitably one doesn't make it. And, oh, they're never, you know, we're going to lose them. They're going to go somewhere else. And then usually the Bengals are able to get them on the practice squad. But... That being said, uh, pretty pretty big scrum between Morgan, Tate, and Willis at this point for one, maybe two spots in that position group. Um, what do you think, man? Um, you know, Alden Tate, it, he just continues to kind of make plays. The separation from cornerbacks is an issue, but it's not as big of an issue when he's able to grab the ball right over him, right? Yeah, right. And the biggest variable here is Cody Core because I think – there's going to be at least six receivers on the on the quote unquote final roster, and I, I, I'm more leaning towards seven being the number because I think they're just going to have Green there and just not activate him until he's ready, like three or four weeks into the season. So they're going to technically have six able-bodied receivers on the roster and maybe deact- and maybe not have like one of them dress. But Cody Core, I think, is is still the biggest variable because they still have him playing first team special teams. They have him playing. At, at the flanker spot over, you know, in place of John Ross, who's still currently injured. And I think personally the best outcome would, would be to have on Tate and one of Damian Willis and Stanley Morgan, who we shouldn't forget. He had a pretty good day himself for only, I think, 13 snaps, and he had like six targets come his way. So him and Driscoll, and him and family seem to have some sort of wrap-up court going, going for them so far. So, like, the, what they decided to do with Cody Core is going to depend on on Tate and one of the undrafted receivers, you know, roster lives. And, Personally, I think it's better to leave Cody Core out of it, but the, 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 the fact that Darren Simmons is still here, being the special teams quarter and having some form of influence over the roster could basically turn those plans to goop. And But it, it's helpful that Odd Tate has, has been taking first team special teams reps along with Cody Core. It definitely helps out his chances. So right now, I think if they keep seven, it's probably Tate's job to lose. But you, you would like to have one of those undrafted guys snag one of those spots from Core. And, you know, it, it depends on how much value are you losing for core on special teams, which personally, if, if you know me and my take on this, I don't really think he's that good at the special team or anyways. I think it's just a certain level of trust in that that whole, like, you know, better practice player and guy who listens to the coach more, more thing than, than, than what he does in the game. But I think you would be best keeping Tate and one of those undrafted guys, basically whoever looks the best going up to the, going up to September. But it all depends on how committed they are to core, in my opinion. But I think right now, Tate should feel comfortable about where he is. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, it seems as if, you know, he kind of dominates the, the the players maybe that in the preseason that he should, I guess, should. But um, I don't know how that – I don't know if that's going to, uh, you know – I don't know if that's going to translate in the regular season against starting players, that sort of thing. It's just preseason and regular season are definitely two different, you know, two different beasts there. Closing up on this, 
uh, th this was a question and this is kind of a question that I had, but someone, uh, someone in the live YouTube chat and I'm going to try and, uh, try and find it here. Uh, basically they said they think that the, uh, the depth looked pretty good. I don't necessarily agree with that. What team is he talking about? Um, yeah, I, I think the Bengals. Uh, I, I need to. I need to kind of see if I can find that one again. But it basically it uh, basically it's something that uh, you know somebody brought up, and I don't know exactly how I feel about that. Like I said, uh, going into this game, I kind of feel like certain areas are very deep, and other areas are not at all. So. I, you're, did that did that translate to you? Did the, did that feeling translate to you as well? Not at all. Not even a little bit. Like you had that was like one of the worst. Like even for backup offensive linemen scenarios, that was just an abysmal performance up there. I don't think anyone would would argue that the Bengals offensive line is in any good good shape or not shape for what it is right now. Packers didn't look good. You know, we're, we're talking about Malik Jefferson. Talking about Sean Davis, the undrafted guys, Noah Dawkins and Sterling Sheffield. You had Tony Lippett out there playing major snaps, you know, getting penalties and missing tackles all over the place. Um, you know, just, no, like, not, not even close. Like, the Chiefs were dominating them, and they were just making silly mistakes. They're racking up penalties. Unfortunately, getting involved in some, you know, crappy pe uh, pass interference review calls that went against them. But the, the, the Chiefs just dominated this game. And, and again, it's, it's backups against backups. But you just have to you just have to recognize that one team was coached a lot better than the other. And the talent disparity right now between the Chiefs and Bengals are just not close. And it, by halftime, we're just like, this game needs to be over. I can't watch any more of this, of this Chiefs team dominating the Bengals right now. But no, I'm not exactly comfortable with the depth at all right now. There's, there's some reserves and some backups that I think can be better. But from a macro standpoint, no, I'm not comfortable at all. So we've got, we're going to close up this segment here in just a second, but we've got uh, somebody calling in on the line. Hi, this is the Orange and Black Insider. Who's this? What's going on, Terrell? Hey, it's uh, been hard to catch you guys. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I've been catching shows every time I get a chance, and um, I just uh, wanted to tell you guys, though, uh, like, um, Anthony, though, man, I'm trying to tell you that if, uh, whenever Jeff Hobson retire, man, you, you got to be the next one up. And for John, you got to be the next Van Horde, man. I, I like it. Well, I, I appreciate that, man. We're 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 doing our little thing in our own little our own little corner, and uh, I appreciate it. But I will say, I, I have had the pleasure of speaking with Jeff Hobson a couple of times, and he is a he is a heck of a nice guy. But outside of our internal problems, uh, I just want to say that I just feel that uh, we even out of this draft for real. Like I just feel like I'm seeing Mac Mac Wilson. Blowing up, doing things. Uh, Jalen Hurd, uh, Debo Samuels, uh, you know, uh, these Metcalf and different players just blowing up. I know the first piece of the game, but I'm just saying. And, and I do love, I do love with uh, Zach personality coming out. With uh, he basically just wants the best man uh, on the field. Um, I, I, I have, you know how he did with Marvin, like, you know, the clapping hands and just, come on, guys. But you can see the uh, the, the facial expression of, uh, he's mad at the penalty. 
like a uh, Tyrone, uh, like seeing at least a guy, at least a coach that is uh, not not saying he's mad, but he, he just disappointed. He just wouldn't want to be better. And I just want to share that with you guys, though, man. But uh, yeah, just keep it up, and you know, everybody watch. I like I said, I got I got people trying to watch y'all too. So oh, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. Well, keep uh, keep in touch, man. We'll 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 talk to you soon. I appreciate you checking in. Uh, thank you. Have a great one. All right. So, uh, yeah, normally we're, we we limit the, the calls and all that kind of stuff, but we wanted to get to that call there. Real quick, John, before we transition, um, and I think this is a good segment, both uh, there's kind of a two-pronged question, and one is kind of an issue that, that Terrell just brought up here. Um, one is, you know, how much stock should we take into this game for the Cincinnati Bengals, a three-touchdown loss to a very good team, but – no Tyler Eifert, no A.J. Green, no John Ross, no Joe Mixon, no Giovanni Bernard, no Carl Lawson, no William Jackson, no Darquez Denard. All of those guys off the field. First preseason game, new coach, obviously some kinks, but still a lot of mistakes. Some of these young guys that were drafted in the – and this, is, this kind of ties in Terrell's point, the Duke Tobin effect, the Duke Tobin era – Recently, there has not been a lot of high picks making big impacts. You look at Billy Price, who we talked about, is now clinging to a starting spot by a thin thread, it seems. Cedric Abwehi back in 15, we know, we're, we're and Jake Fisher from that draft as well. John Ross can't stay healthy and on the field. Um, you know, the, their first-round pick, Jonah Williams, this year hurt. So um, I, I guess if you want to marry those two topics there, I mean, how do you feel about this one lone preseason game with all of these guys out of the lineup? And if you do feel positive, how do you kind of feel about some of the recent things going on in the draft with Duke Tobin? Well, first things first, there's no other Dan Ward, and I could never re- dream of replacing him. He is the absolute goat when it comes to play by play. We would be a good little team there, a little, little hot, the, the next version of Hobson and Horde, man. It's kind of weird to me, but <laughs> regardless, regardless, the whole thing with drafting, and I talked to Zim Hude about this a couple days ago. Zim obviously runs a very active Bengals Instagram account. He's a, as eccentric of a Bengals fan as you, as you can get, but he was talking about <coughs> just a lack of, basically what Terrell was saying, a lack of impact players from recent drafts. And I believe that, I guess, the Duke Tobin effect, the Duke Tobin approach would be to get guys who are very, um, niche players and very good at specific roles or at least their their vision of those players and fulfilling those roles are very specific and that's fine when, when you attack the draft like that it's fine if you have a certain base level of talent or a certain base level of franchise elevating players on your team and compared to the NFL as a whole the Bengals don't really have a lot of that they don't have a quarterback that can elevate talent they have a couple guys who you, you could consider to be elite but from a overall, like the upper part of the roster sense, they're not exactly amongst the top in the NFL, and they can't necessarily carry a lot of niche players. They need to basically acquire as much talented players as possible, which is why you know in the in the mid rounds of the draft, I wanted them to take a little bit more risks and not take these like safe players who can only do one or two things but do them well. So when those picks don't necessarily turn out, then your talent void becomes even bigger, and that's I think that's what we saw basically in this preseason game. Like the the, the depth of some of these positions, like. They're solid, okay, football players, but when compared to just the rest of the rest of the league, and when they go up against other teams, like you see the disparity of talent. And when you don't have elite coaching, 
not yet. We hope that we hope Taylor and his staff develops into that. But when you don't have that right out of the gate, it becomes tougher to really gel quickly and really compete with some of the best teams in the league. So in terms of reacting to this game, like there's not a lot to take away from it because there's a lot of injuries in that sense. But it basically tells us that they just, just, they just still have a long way to go. And we can't really you know crown them as playoff contenders just yet. I think that's still a little bit too far-fetched for me personally right now. I'd like to see what this team does with more talent, but you know the the, 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 the the starting 22 that came out there is very similar to what I guess they had last season late in the year when they had all those injuries. So as, right. as we've seen, like it's not going to be that much different if they suffer a lot of injuries uh, again and be you know completely injury plagued in that sense. And how it's not going to be that much different in terms of you know players carrying the load and replacing and compensating for those losses. If everyone stays healthy, it can be a completely different story. But if everyone stays healthy and the Bengals is not a very you know, it's a very volatile comparison, very volatile dynamic in that sense. So my takeaway is that just, we just need to see more. And, you know, one drive of the, of, with the starters is not really going to sway my opinion back and forth. But, you know, obviously the backups and the depth is a lot of work and a lot more coaching up and a lot more time to just gel with the system. One of the big things that will show Zach Taylor's worth or, you know, show him cutting his teeth as a coach is – creating and his staff in general is creating schemes and creating plays that minimize the, the matchup weaknesses of the players that they'll be putting out there. If they can do that, if they can, if they can really play to their specific players that they're trotting out there to the strengths of those players um, you know, this team can be a competitive team. If, if that's going to be too big of a hill to climb and really maybe some of us are overestimating the talent of some of these players that they are putting out there, then, you know, that's not, this, this could get uh, ugly pretty quick, but I think that, you know, having a Joe Mixon, a Gio Bernard and Eifert and Ross and green and all of those guys back obviously make a huge difference, but none of those guys, um, I mean, there's no loss and there's no, Jackson, but I mean, that defense looked a little lost, which was um, not, not very good to see. And, and, you know, Taylor, first time NFL head coach Callahan first, you know, really first stint as an offensive coordinator uh, in the NFL and Anna Rumo first time as a defensive coordinator as well. So a lot of inexperience from the the major trio of, of coordinators and coaches there. This is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We're going to get out of here in just a few minutes. Uh, but we're going to talk about the upcoming game and what to watch for against the Redskins. Before we do, I want to remind you to get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play, on Megaphone. You can get it uh, on YouTube and CincyJungle.com. John, let's talk about that. Let's segue this. I mean, really one of the things, just kind of talking about a little bit of the question that I just mentioned to you in terms of your concern level of what was on film by the Bay, what was put on film by the Bengals last week against the Chiefs. Do you now, I mean, a lot of people don't take a lot of stock in preseason. Is this a game where you can maybe, especially with guys coming back, it's the second preseason game. So maybe some of these starters will get a few more snaps than they did. I, I think they played one drive, both teams, they basically played like one drive and then they were done. Um, is this a game where you say, okay, maybe maybe now I can have a little bit better gauge and read on this team, or is it still kind of, yeah, it's still too early? I, I think it's still a little too early, but I think the, the, the Redskins and Chiefs differ in various ways. Obviously, the Chiefs have Mahomes and explosive offense, but I think 
the Redskins, in terms of front seven talent, have a lot more to offer than the Chiefs. And when you still have a giant offensive line with potentially two new starters out there, Michael Jordan and maybe even Trey Hopkins, it's going to tell us a lot about how that group is going and how the depth of that group works. Because, like, the Redskins got beat by the Browns in week one preseason 30-10. to 10. So that there's, a, there's also a barometer that you can use in terms of believing if Cleveland's the real deal and how the Bengals fare up against them. But, um, yeah, in, ter- in terms of how the offense moves the ball, Against, against the Washington Stars compared to how they looked against Kansas City. That could be something that you look at it from, a, from a comparative standpoint. The Bengals defense is going up against the rookie quarterback in Dwayne Haskins. How much he plays will, will be interesting to see and how they adjust to him and how he really you know handles facing the Bengals defense and how much that they pressure him, how much that pass rush still looks without a Geno Atkins and a Carl Lawson to see if guys like Andrew Brown and Jordan Willis can continue to improve in the snaps that they get. I think, you know, one more game is not going to really sway my opinion in any way or is going to make me more or less confident in that sense. But there's different strengths and weaknesses to this Redskins team. And obviously going one week into the preseason, the starters and the key contributors are going to play a little bit more. And it's a back-to-back road game. And it's another another hostile environment. And it's going to be interesting to see how the team responds. So what would mean what, – what would you prefer to see if you had the choice between one of the two occurring? Continued – kind of consistent play from Andy Dalton in that first team offense, kind of what you saw for the most part, aside from that one throw last week, like some consistent showing his comfort level in this new offense, then, then putting up, uh, you know, some points and, and moving the ball a bit, or would you rather see an improvement from the defense this next week? Yeah, I think, you know, a similar um, game script for Dalton's opening would be fine with me. I I don't know how much, Mixon and Bernard are going to play um, for, the, for that first drive. I imagine that they, they would both get a handful of carries and around 10 or 12 snaps each. Um, but, yeah, obviously defense against the Chiefs was completely porous. They gave up an 83-yard drive to open the game, and they're going up against Case Keenum now. And that Redskins offense doesn't really have a true number one receiver to, to really boast and, and whatnot. And their, their offensive line, the Redskins are dealing with their own crisis and not paying Trent Williams, to, you know, or, or not trading Trent Williams, or not satisfying Trent Williams anyway. <laughs> He's been absent from that organization for rightfully so because of ran by one of the worst owners in sports. But they have Eric, Eric Flowers of all people starting in his oh, place, yeah. so that could be more of a downgrade. So it's going to be a, a chance for that pass rush to really disrupt and really help out the back seven that they really help out the linebackers to really get to their spots quickly. Right, diagnose the run fits a little bit easier. Get a chance for Billings to, to work against you know the, those interior guys and good chance for Sam Hubbard to really have a good game against the Gallic Flowers and, you know, how, how that depth responds to, you know, you know, kind of getting run over towards the second half against the Chiefs. Um, yeah, I would love to see, obviously, an improvement in the, in the defense, and I think it will be it will be a little bit easier for them because they're not facing one of the best offenses in the NFL. Who are uh, – give me three players you're going to be watching for this week. Um, I'll continue to watch um, Stanley Morgan to see if he – still gain a high volume of targets per snaps because, again, six targets and 13 snaps kind of tells me something, if nothing else. Um, I'm going to watch uh, Mike, Mike Jordan again to see if he start, does start a left guard, how much he plays at either guard spot. And on defense, I want to watch a little bit more of Pratt because I, I ended up watching a lot of Andrew Brown just because of how much he showed out, and I kind of got lost in the linebacker uh, shuffling going on. I, I think Pratt overall had a very up-and-down game in, in terms of uh, being a little bit slow to, to diagnose and react to the run game, but had some 
you know, you know, look, look solid in coverage in terms of just recognizing and going, going to his zone. So th- those are the three players I'm going to pay more attention to this, this time. Some good picks. I guess I, for me, I would say I'm, I'd look at Drew Sample. I think he's a guy that uh, had some ups and downs as well um, this last week. And I'm, I'm curious to see how, if and how he is going to be used in this offense. Um, I am, uh, I guess I will have, once again, I don't know if Travion Williams is going to play just because it's a short week and he's got the rib injury, but I would like to see these backup running backs now that, especially because Rodney Anderson probably won't play until the third preseason game it, it came out and said. So, uh, you know, some of those backup running backs just to see who, what they have in the stable, if Rodney Anderson maybe, um, you know, still needs to to have a little time and all of that. Obviously, when he is back, that's a guy I'm definitely going to be interested to watch, but I'm, I'm interested in those backup um, those backup running backs uh, at, at this uh, in this offense. Um, tough to say who else. Um, I, I guess uh, you know, as weird as it sounds, I guess I'd like to see the uh, the the duo of starting safeties. Um, I thought Sean Williams and Jesse Bates looked lost last week. Um, there were a couple of plays, uh, including one to Travis Kelsey, where Williams looked didn't even turn around, um, and it netted like a 36-yard gain, um, and it just kind of continued to show that the Bengals uh, are not doing very much, or I, I guess they're not they have not improved very much in terms of guarding tight ends and running backs, at least if we're taking that sample size that we saw last week. So um, those are some of the players I'm going to be looking at that I'd like to see some marked improvement from going forward. Um, any other final thoughts or impressions of the, uh, that, I don't know, uh, observations you'll be kind of wanting to see from this game, John? Um, I, I just had such a tough time watching that second half. I just hope I can, can get, can get through another one. I, I, I do. I would say that I think, the defensive struggles in general is just like it's the Chiefs' offense, man. Like nobody, nobody has implemented a more successful adaptation of the air raid than Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, and the offense is going to continue, you know, ripping up defenses to shreds. So I think that you know this performance will be a, a better sense of judgment for where the defense is right now. And again, no Geno Atkins, so Carl Lawson's going to change that a little bit. But if they show, you know. Substantial, not substantial room, but just noticeable improvement against a Case Keenum-led offense. I think we can gain a little bit more confidence, but it's really going from one extreme to the other because the, the, the Redskins' offense isn't as nearly as complex and as um, uh, horizontally oriented as the Chiefs are. So I think we can draw some different conclusions after this game. But if they continue to struggle, then I, then that uh, the opposite op, on the opposite end, if they can, can if they can if they continue to struggle, then we can officially start in the panic button, I would say. Yeah, Jamie Craig in the live YouTube chat says Ryan Finley in game two. That's definitely a guy to watch. He's probably going to be getting second team snaps based on what, what occurred, what he did last week and what Jeff Driscoll did not do last week um, and as and based on some of the moving around that Driscoll has done. One thing, John, and maybe this, this will be more prevalent in game three of the preseason rather than game two, but one thing I will be watching for, and you kind of briefly, briefly touched on it, is – when Andy Dalton and that offense is kind of off script, 
right? So usually the first drive, the first drive of a game, a team in an offense basically has a script of plays that they work on throughout practice. They have, and then as the game goes on, obviously, and it ebbs and flows, they, they, you would hope <laughs> they transition and, and do different things. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see with maybe some more extended playing time with Andy Dalton in this offense, I'm curious to see what kind of going off those scripted eight to 10 initial plays that they work on throughout the week. I'm curious to see what they look like and the success rate from there. Um, I think that that's going to show a lot for Dalton and Taylor and all those guys. So um, I don't know. That's that's something I'll be looking for. Yeah, I agree because like when, when you when you have those pieces missing or on the sideline right now, it, it requires more for the quarterback to just kind of handle things on his own yeah. and just try to make things work in that sense. So no AJ Green, no Eifert, no, no Ross. You have Boyd, your safety blanket, but really get really push these receivers to, to make more than just the routes that they're running. You know, to try to get extra yardage. You know, try to extend plays in that sense. The Redskins defense is is primed to be exploited. The, uh, the Browns' first team offense ripped them apart um, in, in Week One. Baker Mayfield had a very, very success, successful drive against them. So there's no reason why the Bengals can't do the same. Yep. Well, uh, enjoy the game this week, buddy. Uh, you and I will be you and you and I will be working it. And uh, for those wondering, um, we. We'll be working the game uh, for CincyJungle.com, so definitely keep it there for news, opinions, analysis, breaking stuff throughout the game. Uh, John and I are part of a, a large crew, and it seems to be a growing crew of people that have been uh, contributing to the website at a, at a high level, so that's, that's awesome. Keep it there. We'll also take... Um, We'll probably be taking the airwaves after the game, immediately following the game, either John and or myself will, to do some post-game reactions. That's probably going to occur on Cincy Jungle's Facebook feed. That's probably where we will do it. And if it is there, then we will then transfer the audio and video to our other channels. But um, we'll probably do that. And then, of course, bring you some other things in the coming days, weeks, and months. So keep it to us. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thanks, John. Appreciate, uh, appreciate you continuing to deal with these these YouTube changes. There's There's been a lot of them, um, but we're charging through it. Yes, we are. <laughs> uh, well, thanks, everybody. Check out the show where you can. Thanks for tuning in live, and enjoy the game this week. We'll see you next time.